You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. You know, welcome to Topco's uh, Business Unusual podcast. And today I'm joined again by my very good friend, Fundo Nkulu, who is the CEO, COO uh, of Nedbank. Fundo, it's so great to have you back. I think we spoke for so long last time. It was like a, almost like a 90-minute podcast. So um, we're going to make a series of these. Good to connect again, Rush. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I mean, it's it's funny because it's one of those weird things that I don't know about you, but I, I rarely go and look at um, videos of myself or those sorts of things. But I, when I knew I was doing this podcast with you, I actually went back and mm-hmm. listened to the whole podcast. And I can see why it was so long because we were having so much fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we enjoyed that session, yeah. And And I think one of the things that really stood out for me was that um, there, there seems to be this uniqueness about you where you've, you know, you, you obviously you're an academic, then you became an activist, then it was you um, a trade negotiator, so you worked in government for international trade, and then you're part of a big financial institution that's obviously having the biggest disruption in the world. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this guy has basically been on, you know, existed on all different platforms and he's created change in these organizations, in these critical points. Mm. And I suppose the one thing I wanted to get is, is that, that obviously takes a lot of skill to have success in these different environments. Yes. What do you... And what do you too. Huh? And in <laughs> and life too. Life there too. we go. Yeah. How profound, right? Because it's true, right? So many people have success in business and their life is falling apart possibly. So what is your secrets of success? Well, um, I can say, Ralph, I've been uh, fortunate to have um, lucky breaks at critical points along along that curve. I I do think that... um, it's a combination of things. Uh, of course, um, you've got to put in the hard work, um, me, the smart work, um, and also, I suppose, um, surround yourself with uh, smarter and more experienced people. I've learned in that environment where uh, I've worked uh, with people uh, more senior than I was. And uh, I was comfortable with that. I saw it as an opportunity for growth. But there's also luck to it. Yeah? Uh, breaks come through at the uh, right moment. And um, if you grab the opportunities with both hands, you, you make headway. And um, the, the constant um, uh, denominator for me was to never stop uh, learning. Uh, just to treat uh, learning and growth as a lifelong enterprise 
And so uh, as I've moved into new domains, we said, okay, what are the capabilities that I have? What are the gaps? What's the new that I need to acquire? And map that out and uh, dedicate myself to learning and learning quickly to come to terms with the, with the challenges at hand. And there's nothing like success to build success. And so if you lay that platform strongly and uh, you succeed, you raise both uh, confidence levels in yourself and expectations from those you work with. And you just keep uh, raising the game to those levels. That's been the course of, uh, of my journey. For me, it's a little bit more than that as well, though, because mm-hmm. you've brought on good people but you've, ex- you've done great things with your relationships as well. It seems that you have, a, have a, a knack or a skill of mm-hmm. being inclusive in your thinking and making sure it's win-win for all parties. That seems to be something that's really come across very strongly for me. It seems that um, at the yes. end of the day... I, I innately believe that uh, value creation is something that uh, ultimately um, you create in collaboration with others. There's so much that you can do all by yourself, but it is in the interaction with others that you get the multiplier effect to come through. And so I've always enjoyed um, working in teams uh, with other people. Um, it gives you an opportunity to test your ideas, your thoughts. It gives you an opportunity to refine those ideas in practice as we implement them. As we all know, um, a battle plan is most of the time as good as it is on paper. Uh, the first shot in the battlefield changes the, the plan altogether. And so uh, we may have ideas about life, ideas about how to do things, but it's when we put those ideas into practice in interaction with others that uh, things change, take new form, new dimensions. And that for me is a source of growth. And so I've um, always invested in um, good, healthy, productive relationships around me. Uh, with both uh, peers, um, with superiors, uh, as well as uh, juniors who look up to me and depend on my guidance. So I've always been conscious of um, uh, operating across those uh, multiple uh, uh, platforms, if you like, multiple dimensions of, uh, of my environment. And I continue to think that it is life-defining. It's a journey that never ends. You always interacting at uh, those multiple levels at any given point in time. And that has served me well. Yeah, I mean, you're saying it so eloquently, but actually I, I know that the reality is it's actually not that easy. And mm-hmm. that often change comes with a lot of pressure and things need to happen and there's costs and there's deadlines. And, you know, you make it sound so easy. But um, actually, the reality is that there's a lot of um, stress that's coming when people are in these environments. And so, you know, my sense is that you draw out a a level of empathy for other people that is quite unique. You you have an ability to step into their shoes almost. 
Well, that's been uh, some of the feedback that I've got from colleagues that I've worked with. It's gratifying to, to hear them say so, um, because um, all said and done, uh, this thing is principally about people, okay? Uh, organizations are a form of expressing how those relationships are structured. In my view, they do not have a life of their own in and of themselves. They are useful um, institutions and instruments in order to take human relations, um, human well-being, human welfare, to take that forward. And so um, it's been important to, to ensure that uh, have high quality of relationships in place, a requisite level of uh, empathy and understanding, being considerate for the interests of others, but at the same time, sharply focused on the task at hand and to make sure that it is done. Because all of these things, including being considerate to others, should never care our ability to get things done, get things accomplished, draw a line in, in the sand and say it is done, is behind us. Because uh, we, we all want to, to forge ahead and um, that is as motivating to me as it is to others. Uh, the evidence of progress and uh, the accomplishment of things, the ability to say we started it, it's got done, it got accomplished, we move on to the next rung of the ladder. It, it seems that that seems to give a lot of confidence on that success you're talking about is, is actually the decisions and getting something done. Uh, it, it, it is, is very important. In order to make sense of the world around us, we create concepts, we turn concepts into, theory, into theories. These are mind maps to make sense of the world we live in. But it would be a huge pity if life ended there. At the end of the day, we've got to convert those into doables. And uh, we've got to do tangible things and then there's a lot that we learn from practice, from execution, actually, that helps us to go back and reshape ideas. And so I've always believed in the connection between the two, not ideas all by themselves and not action that is uh, unguided by uh, frameworks. You know, I, mean, I know that Nedbank has been a big um, sort of partner and sponsor of the Top Empowerment Conference and Awards and you've done very well yourselves in terms of your transformation journey. What, 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 is that aligned, that, that sort of shared purpose, that social impact to the transformation journey? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's something that is a group we've invested in over an extended period of time now. And um, it's, it's pleasing to see that effort being rewarded with the recognition and acknowledgement out there in the market. Throughout into that level of acknowledgement, it stems from a view that we have that our own success is bound with the success of the society we live in and the markets in societies in which we operate as a group. It's very important for the bank to be relevant to its social context because the bank 
is an institution that takes um, long-term risk. We create uh, uh, long-term um, assets in the market. We help to mobilize um, deposits uh, from depositors uh, and uh, institutional uh, investors. And we take um, those um, funds and create new assets. That's part of value creation in the economy. And that's how we create opportunities for others. These assets um, invariably can be long dated. If you think of a home loan book to help people create uh, their own homes, buy a home, uh, create livelihood, you think of the memories that are embedded uh, in that home over a period of time. And so that for us is a value that's both tangible and intangible that we create, which means that uh, we've got to understand our society very, very well in understanding it uh, uh, so minutely, we also best place to identify opportunities that feed to our growth and sustainability. And so you get into this uh, mutually reinforcing cycle that the more I'm relevant, the more I understand, the better placed I am to identify opportunities. And if I support citizens to grow, then they generate new sources of business for us. And that is essentially the business of banking. And I would think that um, every time, every moment that the bank is misaligned with its own environment, it would reflect in um, relative underperformance. So funny. Um, I was doing a strategy for the company. Yeah. I, I was reading all these books from the Financial Times. Anyway, I got myself a video and it was a professor talking around a uh, different strategy. And it was more or less the same thing. He spoke about the history and how complex it is and strategies and how they've changed and the buzzwords. And then he really just went and said, look, here's some great books the last 20 yes. years. And he went through and then he really just simply said that the most relevant is it used to be purposeful uh, strategy, but now it's shared value strategy. And it's for that reason, it's because innovation yep. is actually being brought out and sustainability is enhanced in organizations when they're in line with society. Yep. No doubt about it. We would say, we would say that you. We and so in the, in, the, in, in the context of um, our business uh, in the country, there are two elements to that um, uh, transformation journey. There is um, the, the transformation to reflect that we're a South African institution. And therefore, in our ownership structure, in the composition of the board, in the composition of the leadership ranks, in the mix of our uh, workforce, we reflect the diversity that represents our country. And so that's the transformation, I suppose, that uh, uh, is generally spoken of when we talk of transformation. It traces our history as well as a desire uh, to shape a future that is inclusive. The second aspect of it, of course, is transformation in a business sense. A recognition that the world we live in is increasingly uh, driven by uh, um, um, high speed of innovation of new solutions, and these solutions largely predicated on um, 
a digital um, uh, infrastructure backbone. And uh, really in that context, then the fuel of the future really being data. And so to the extent that we understand the, the data world and uh, we can uh, use data science to, to make sense of activities, of uh, uh, connections that we have, we try to be uh, more accurate in our predictive analytics about um, a likelihood of uh, consumers to make um, purchase decisions that would require that we are available with solutions at that point in time. This is really what's driving uh, this digital uh, revolution we're going through. And so that has required us that uh, we invest in a refresh of our um, technology stack, making sure that um, uh, we run uh, robust uh, technology systems to support the human endeavor in that uh, these systems are both robust and agile uh, and therefore can be modularized to respond to specific human needs. Um, that's been uh, the, the big effort, the big drive. All of that is changing the business model. And, and so we then have to understand, okay, it's a technology investment. It's not just technology for itself. It changes the business model and we've got to respond in kind. Changing business model to what end? And so we've got to address the purpose question. What's the purpose of it all? It is changing the business model to respond to customer experiences. Yeah? Mm. Through their enhanced experiences in the market, customers are coming back with preferences. And so unless we connect with those preferences, with those needs, uh, unless we enable them uh, to interact with us with relative ease, we're not going to secure their business. And so uh, for us is to change the business model to make it user-friendly from a customer point of view, allow them, uh, in a sense, to remain largely in control of how they interact with us, when they interact with us, at a point of convenience from their vantage point. That's not an easy what, task. What are these? Like, yeah, not an easy task at all. And you have to ask, <laughs> what are these needs? What are these experiences? Um, yeah, customers want the experience independent of channel uh, of use. They want the experience to be predictable and consistent. Yeah. If they're dealing with net bank, it doesn't matter if they walk through a, 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 our branches, they come to our premises, they interact with us via a digital channel, they access us through a call center. They want the feel of that relationship to be consistent across those, to reflect that it's the net bank that uh, they understand that each of those touch points reflects to them that they are understood. Uh, and so it can be that when I walk through the branch, uh, you don't recognize that this is the same person that you were speaking with on the phone. And so really to, to 
to connect all of that, you've got to have a data infrastructure, which is where technology comes in. That mirrors, we've got to be able to log and say, okay, we last spoke with you two weeks ago. These were the contents of that conversation. Are we now taking it forward or are we opening a new conversation? And this is what matters to clients. The fact that they deal with an entity that recognizes them uh, all the time and also is alive to their uniqueness. That for me is what creates lasting points. Sure. But all, all those things that you talked about, I suppose every organization is possibly thinking about, but some are able to execute and yeah. some aren't. Yeah. And um, I, I told you, I've got the teenagers and some are in their 20s. And trying to change them, the people I love dearly, and hopefully they love me, yeah. I find quite difficult. Um, That's so true. <laughs> because I normally say, hey, we're going on holiday here or we're doing this. And then they have their own opinion and they, they start yep. feeding me back. And they, they, there's, there's, this com, there's this conversation that's happening. Um, yeah. And I'm not always in control of that conversation, I realize. It's, it's, it's always negotiated outcomes. Okay. Negotiated outcomes. And, and, and how, how are you? I mean, that's a big challenge for a lot of companies, right? That they probably know what to do. Yeah, most people really know what to do, but few are able to execute and deliver on that. And so, yeah. what are you seeing as a secret source that NedBank's able to drive this purposeful transformation? Because what you've done in terms of driving your own transformation, in terms of um, the bank internally, is extraordinary. Really, um, you've been able to drive transformation and increase your performance at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we would hope that transformation increases performance. Yes. Well, well, that's the thing. I was going to, I was going to as well because a mm. lot of people see it as a cost or a compliance, yeah. as opposed yeah. to a revenue generating or you know enriching sustainable opportunity. And, and so, what is that? Is that is that the is that the, the the purpose of the bank? Is that the values of the bank? Is that part of that strategy? What's driving the difference where it's not so much. I'm pushing you, but we're going together. How, are you, how did you orchestrate that? Well, fundamentally, Ralph, it's about the culture, okay? Where you bring uh, human beings together, um, they create um, a culture. Uh, and, and so we've got to be alive to that. What is the culture of this enterprise? What are the underpinning values that we seek to promote here? And you correct, everybody understands the nature of the challenge, but the differences in execution capability. And for that, you've got to come back to say, okay, are we having the right culture, the right orientation at the top of the house? Because the culture of an organization is hugely defined by what happens at the top of course, all levels contribute to it, but uh, there's asymmetry in the level of contribution uh, to shaping that culture. That's number one. Two, you then look at the capabilities. What's a human capability? Okay, It's amazing, this uh, a organism called a human being. Uh, you can think of that as a source of technology, but it's one technology that you're never fully in control of. And so you've got to say, okay, what's the human capability that we have at our disposal. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a sense of 
uh, agonized over that question, and I'm sure my fellow colleagues they say, you always have to think of what's the balance between those who can provide stewardship for business. You have a mature business. Some people can uh, manage it and run and continue to deliver value uh, day in, day out on it. Others actually are not content with that with just stewardship. They want to create new sources of value. And so those are the ones who are breaking into white spaces, uh, creating new solutions that did not exist today. And so uh, in a sense, they are the source of the entrepreneurial energy of the group. As a, as a management team, we pay attention to what that relative balance is. And, uh, yeah. yes. and the more we get uh, the entrepreneurial drive, the quicker we bring solutions in, uh, onto the table and continue the shift down the uh, transformation path. Yeah. It is for that very... It is for that it's not very, easy. No, it's not easy at all. It's not easy at all. These, yeah. um, these things do not come naturally to all of us, uh, yeah. uh, not at the same time. But it is at that point that you get transformation to be value creating and therefore enhancing revenues, enhancing performance. If it didn't achieve that, then Mm -hmm. it would not serve its purpose. You would turn back and say, why are we making all of this investment if it is not generating a return? So we've got to make sure that uh, we don't treat it as a fad. Uh, Actually, we're conscientious about it but also paying due attention to key capabilities that are required to consistently create that value. Of course, um, as you invest in technology, you make it easier to get there. But for me, it's technology with human capability on top of that, all underpinned by a culture to seek uh, to succeed. And we can only succeed by connecting our endeavor with the needs of our clients out there in the market for sure i mean the the nature of an entrepreneur is they're disruptive and they break the rules yeah Yeah. that must be difficult in a bank where it is you know you're you're provisioned by a lot of legislation and rules and processes is that is that the the challenge the conundrum that you the, the, the playoffs that you're always working against? Is that one of yeah, the things? Um, y- y- yes, indeed, it is. It, it defines that. And in some respects, you probably will say you can't really make progress without those contradictions. You can't. It's quite, it's quite curious that life needs contradictions in order to move forward. It's, a, it's simple. You wouldn't drive a sports car very fast if you are not comfortable that the brakes work well. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> when you have to apply That's the... That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've, you've got to rely on that. The, the moment Bicycle brakes on a Ferrari won't work. Yeah. Uh, no, this is, this is the point. <laughs> if, if, if you're worried about the brakes, then the speed at which you drive would be much slower because you have to compensate for that. So in our world, we've got to be comfortable that the risk and compliance parameters are 
adequately in place, that mm-hmm. we've defined our risk appetite levels, we have our risk disciplines entrenched, so that uh, we comply with the regulators, we comply um, with market expectation, uh, our own clients trust us because they know that uh, we conduct business in an ethical way. Once those frameworks are in place and within mm. the bounds uh, of that construct, you have the latitude mm. to run as fast and as hard as you can. Yeah. And so then you use that for entrepreneurial drive uh, so that we can generate value much quicker. But every time that value that we create is assessed against uh, the risk parameters, everybody must be comfortable. This is an institution that is uh, sustainable. We're generating value in the short run, but always in the context of long-term value creation. And so the sustainability over time in that we're not cavalier in our approach uh, to market. We're not seeking uh, short-term benefits at the expense of uh, values that matter in defining our heritage. And so, yeah, and that's the way life is, is to understand that. And I suppose as executives and managers, our biggest challenge is where the swing of the pendulum lies. Because yeah. oftentimes, if you're too heavy on the risk side, necessary as it is, you may mm. not be focusing sufficiently on commerciality, uh, on drive and uh, uh, seizing opportunities in the market. Yeah. If you swing too far out onto that side, you can create value today that comes back to haunt you for the mm. longest time thereafter. So um, for me, it's finding that dynamic equilibrium. And it is dynamic because it's never static. It always mm. shifts. And we always have to be on our toes to check ourselves. Okay, guys, are we still on the right course? Can we cost correct? Uh, without uh, halting the whole system uh, to a stop. And that's that's dance that we do day in, day out. Yeah, sounds, sounds like fun. Um, I, I was on a podcast a little while ago with Michael Jordan, and, and he was basically saying, with the fintechs coming through and the traditional organizations, he was saying it's a bit of a, a, bit of a race. It's how quickly the incumbents can sort of, the, the new organizations can can um, get distribution yeah. and versus uh, the existing organizations like their bank who can innovate. And so how, how is that playing out? Because I know as a bank, um, you've made some really strategic investments in yeah. organizations like, you know, Aerotropics and those sorts of things. So, you know, where, where, where is, where are we? Where are you? I mean, the, the, the thinking sort of initially with, with this digital transformation was sort of four things, like drive an innovation team internally, have a DevOps team, invest yeah. in an innovation company or partner up. Yes. Um, the, the one thing with fintechs, and perhaps uh, I will add on to that list also mobile network operators, the, the technology companies in a sense, They've come onto the scene with um, different business models, different ways of doing things, in really on the back of technology innovation to come to shake the market as it were. 
And so yeah. we see uh, fintechs uh, at the cutting edge of that revolution in, in a sense also exploiting in data analytics in order to minutely understand what uh, the clients require. Sometimes to do that even better than the client is away and you use yeah. that as a source of education for the benefit of the client. However, we also have seen in practice that um, to gain clients, for any business to grow clients, you need a distribution mm. network. Yeah? And you've got that. You can't get away got, from that. And you've, you've got that. We've got that. So you've got to say, okay, here's my distribution infrastructure. Gives me yeah. access to clients wherever yeah. they may be, the point of convenience. Yeah. Then come to terms and say that, okay, part of this distribution infrastructure is now in a digital. Digital mm-hmm. is also the front face of the organization. Okay? Because you people can get access to your institution via your digital technological capability and channels that you offer them. And so we've got to treat that not just as an enabler of other things, but also as the front face of the business too. Mm. Then if you are an existing, um, perhaps a traditional mature organization, what do you have uh, in your arsenal uh, to fight back? I would argue that uh, you have um, a balance sheet. Generally, uh, banks in this instance have large balance sheets that they've created over time. And you can use that balance sheet to invest in your own refresh, in your uh, renewal uh, program, in your digital uh, transformation journey as part of uh, the response, which is what we see banks doing. So we're not alone. We note competitors in the market announcing various programs of their own as part response to all of this. And so it's quite interesting. There's an interesting book called The Revenge of the Goliath. The Revenge of the Goliath. I'm going to read that one. Yeah, yeah, and, and so in, in a sense, the big issue is will these uh, new uh, generation of companies <laughs> that are agile and fit-footed have enough muscle where, 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 when the big ones come back now with checks to invest in their own uh, future? I was well wondering as, why you're looking so confident. I was, I was wondering why you're looking so confident. Well, <laughs> a couple of years ago, the banks were scared or whatever. Now I'm like, wow, what? the guys are... You, you've got to say, you've got to come back and uh, I suppose recognize that you're not going to have the way with all, all under your own roof. So it's got yeah. to be a partnership play. And yeah. so you partner with some of the fintechs. Yeah. Uh, in other instances, you may acquire some of them. Uh, yeah. And so if you need that capability in-house... So the permutations and models out there, uh, Ralph, that would suggest that um, there will be a response. It will be a dynamic market in my view. Um, There are no guaranteed victors here. Uh, And so uh, you may well have 
share of market taken from some of the traditional institutions, but uh, I do not think they're necessarily going to be decimated. I think if they invest wisely and lift their game plan, uh, they do have a future. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, of course, it's all about scale, and it's how you quickly you get through the tipping point that allows you a disproportionate share of value in the market. Sure. I mean, Zachariah George, he spoke at the Africa Tech Week earlier mm-hmm. this year, and he basically said that where you have a new technology stack and you partner with a financial institution, your chances yeah. of success go all the way up to 85% because yeah. of that distribution and that scale that you're mentioning. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like for every startup, that seems like it's not funding that's the issue. It's can you find a partnership with a financial institution to drive that scale. Now, that's going to be not be lasting forever either. How yeah, desirable yeah, yes. is that for, for the banks? So obviously, is that, is that, is that a big banking play now? Is a scale, banking is a scale business. It's, it's always been, always will be. And so you've got to get that scale. Now we're finding that you can get through the scale, and this is really the challenge on, on our table, without necessarily having to put in brick and mortar infrastructure to get in there. And so you can see the new generation of banks are not investing in brick and mortar infrastructure, and certainly not to the same extent as traditional banks would have done. And they're using the digital uh, infrastructure for distribution. And, 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 and so uh, that will require also partnerships with others because you can provide access to your clients remotely, at the end of the day, there's still physical goods that have to be delivered. And so uh, you get into partner networks. That is what the API marketplace really is all about. For sure. But I mean, moving on from that, because obviously we've had the worst financial and health pandemic in the world the last couple of years. Yeah, the organization is changing. It's almost like uh, you know you, 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 you're building a new airplane while you're while you're driving or you're flying, yes. um, <laughs> and your staff have all been remote. I mean, what is the future of work? Because this is dynamic. You've got some. You've, you've put this sort of a line in the sand. You've made some decisions with regards to remote working and people coming to the office and the, the capabilities. Yes, indeed. And, and the response in the market is uneven. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite curious. And there are some entities that um, see this perhaps as a temporary phase uh, and are preparing uh, to bring staff back to office as quickly uh, as possible. Um, they worry about... Um, uh, corporate culture in, in an environment where people are working remotely. They worry about uh, value creation. They worry about um, a loss of uh, on-the-job training, um, younger staff learning from experienced colleagues. Um, because this is traditionally how we've created a value and this is how we've organized work that we all work in the same milieu and uh, we learn off one another. And I do think that uh, there is virtue in all of those considerations. 
spread the core of the team, how you keep your teams aligned and motivated. In the, that, that's probably been one drawback of uh, this remote work, that it can feel um, isolated at times, mm-hmm. all by yourself. And um, it can also, uh, I suppose, uh, lead to burnout as people have worked long hours. And so, so we've been on a learning curve um, mm. across the board. But quite clearly, it has worked. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, life has continued. Work has continued. It mm. may have morphed in some respects. And so there are capabilities that uh, have proved to be not just uh, useful, but Mm. sustainable too, Mm. which tends to make us think that uh, probably the future of work is a hybrid model between on-premises as well as um, remote uh, connectivity. Now, the things that we're working through right now is um, how much of the staff complement is working remotely at any given point in time, uh, how much is uh, on-premise, which functions lend themselves to being on-premise, um, how is that work um, organized and managed so that uh, it's... Uh, uh, seamless for the enterprise as a whole. Mm. Uh, uh, you can think uh, in a bank, um, frontline branch staff who interact with clients will have to be on premise. You can think of functions such as uh, the treasury, the trading desks, we do those on premise because they run off um, um, a technology platforms that are that are unique and cannot be replicated in a home environment. You can think of call center agents who may need to be at a call center uh, to provide that support. But there are also a whole host of uh, of um, the workforce that can work remotely at any given point in time. Now we're making arrangements so people may have to come in part of the week and so on. That has um, implications on a number of other things. It has implications on our um, real estate portfolio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I know because you're big into, you believe in property and and so it's a a mainstay for the bank, right? Yes, indeed. I think in the Western Cape at one stage, 80% of the properties were financed through through, Nedbank. I don't know how true that is. Well, it's a significant market. I wouldn't put it at 80, but uh, okay. maybe it's a couple of market years ago. position. Yeah. The thing is that, um, yeah, so we've got to think through what are the lease arrangements that we have? When, how do we review those leases? What premises we may continue to need or not? Yeah. Um, how do we move to a future of hot desking? And, and, and therefore, sweat the assets that we have and so we have staff rotating and all of that and then then there are other things that we're now having to rethink altogether in a sense in terms of legislation and our responsibility we also um, carry uh, the onus to provide a safe and 
healthy work environment for our staff. Um, one of the things that come with uh, working at home, now you think of the economics of all of these. People are saying, hey, I'm working long hours, sitting on a bed or sitting at a dinner table. That's not necessarily good for my long-term health. And it's not you using my time as an employer, but you're not providing me with the appropriate supportive tools to get there. And so people would argue that uh, a chair is as good as the laptop that you give me. So can you provide me with an appropriate chair so that uh, I can continue to do the work as expected? So we're rethinking that. Okay. Sure. So how do we provide this level of support to our staff? At the same time, these are bank's assets. How do we manage them when they are almost permanently uh, with an individual uh, in their home? And then you kind of sit back and say, okay, as a consequence of this, has the home now become an extended place of work? Does that mean the rules and regulations applying at work now apply at home? Because forever in a day, the home has been our private space, isn't it? And, and now you kind of sit and say, okay, at what point is this right? At what point is this intrusive? Um, uh, and so we can provide you with all the support that you need, but what is the appropriate level of regulation? And when do we go too far? When do we pull back? It's not dissimilar to the issue that is now arising. If you take COVID-19 and vaccination, yeah. the big debate now is, uh, can employers insist that employees should be vaccinated? I see Discovery just said yesterday they want all employees vaccinated. By 1st of January, we, we certainly noted that announcement. Sure. We did, a, we did a survey amongst our people and asked them, yeah. Yeah. do they think they should be vaccinated? Have they been vaccinated? But, um, and I think partly from your advice before, which is speak to your people. <laughs> to, you've got to engage. That's the best, that's the best way, Ralph, of dealing with that. I'm the, learning from you, eh? I'm learning. The legal advice that we obtained was that uh, you, you will never know whether people are vaccinated or not because essentially you can't force them to disclose their status. And so if they do not disclose the status, then you're not in a position to know. But herein lies the dilemma, which is probably what uh, took discovery down that path, is that you have a responsibility to provide a safe environment for your staff and your clients on your premises. And so if we now return back full-time to the office, you want to know that the environment is as safe as can be. And so... If people are vaccinated, you have a higher level of safety that is protection. presumed. Protection, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, but now, if people are not willing to disclose whether they're vaccinated or not, should you allow them back? Mm. And then, if you do not allow them back, are you inadvertently changing their conditions of employment? So labor law then kicks in. And there are all these considerations that come into it. 
and some people um, may well um, uh, object to vaccinations for moral or ethical considerations or whatever reason they yeah. may have. And yeah. so it can't just be compulsory. You need to get to an understanding what are the circumstances that, that pertain. And perhaps in the context of that, you may then say, okay, you continue to work, but you work remotely because I need yeah. to protect this environment. Those are some of the things we're exploring. But very fundamental changes, not just in the in our health and the economy, but also more profoundly in the ways we interact as human beings and how those interactions are organized. Yeah, it's funny. My parents went overseas and they're looking to go to the UK. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that... that the, the, the UK aren't recognizing the, the South African vaccine. Oh, it's just so. Yeah, it's just it's just getting ridiculous. It's it's almost like um, you know, you know. I think they produced in the UK the AstraZeneca ones, and they're sent here, but yet or the other way around. Yeah. But yet they're, they're not they're recognizing not... it because it's from. So that, it's it's just getting absurd now. I think it's absurd exactly. And and then and then you stand back and say. Will we get back to a world of open borders where people travel with relative ease, as was the case before? And perhaps it's not the same as before. There will be requirements that you 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 uh, um, provide evidence that uh, you're vaccinated. But then, yeah. if the vaccination is not accepted, then you go into a further state of chaos. And then, if uh, on the whole. Uh, we get, I mean, this is not uh, an unknown phenomenon in trade wars. If you get into retaliatory actions, then this can have an enormous negative impact on tourism. Then you think of all your tourism assets uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, It could change that uh, industry and as a consequence of that hospitality industry uh, inadvertently. And so at some point, as human beings, we also challenged to be sound and reasonable in how we approach this. Otherwise, we can precipitate unintended consequences. For sure. I think there's definitely some nations who are using it to their advantage at the moment. Um, but, but, I mean, talking about this, the future of work, obviously one of the big shifts is, is people, is their yeah. mindset and skill. And yeah. I think I was really intrigued that, um, you know, you do some great work with the YES initiative to create jobs and following on what the president's doing. But you've taken that a step further. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is you don't even get the points in terms of your BE scorecard for the work you do with the YES initiative. And then you're also training people um, with Amazon to encoding. And I'm thinking, so... This purpose thing is real. Like you, you're not just doing it because of of, of the uh, point. requirements. No. Yeah. The, but what's the, the thinking the, there? Because obviously you're a bank as well. You're not naive. You're investing in something that you think is going to have a long term. Like you said, you're investing in the future. What's yeah. the outcome you're seeing there? I, I, I suppose the, the the responsibility of leaders is that in a sense they're also merchants of hope, isn't it? And so yeah. we've got to sell hope to society that uh, what we have today can be the end state of who we are. Um, 
in the still better days ahead of us. That is the responsibility we have to bequeath to the next generation. So in a sense, if you look at the South African situation, we really have structurally high unemployment levels, 34% now. And if you look more specifically at youth unemployment levels, now hovering at over 60%, that's very, very high by any description. Um, And when you think of how we break into the world of work, oftentimes it is that first job experience Mm. that created uh, uh, the opportunity that opened uh, the gateways. And so if we have um, 60% unemployment levels for the youth, it means that cohort is struggling to find the experience of what it means to work. Mm. Okay? So that enjoins us to take responsibility to provide uh, work opportunities. Mm. In the context of the YES program, it's a, it's a one-year um, a training opportunity, that the uh, placement opportunity that they get with us to acquire practical skills now. Okay, people may have studied university, qualified, got a degree, but they've not done a a tangible piece of work. So Mm -hmm. you provide them with an experience in the world of work to acquire those skills, to Mm -hmm. understand um, what happens in the world of work, and to Mm -hmm. use that experience both to build networks for themselves Mm -hmm. and also to enhance uh, their presentation skills, because in order to get jobs and make headway, you will have to present yourself. This is who you are, this is what you've done, show evidence of uh, um, yards uh, that uh, you would have acquired. And so we use the YES program as an investment in that sense. It's important for us uh, for more than just uh, transformation points, transformation points is consequential. But yeah. if we can take people out of the rut, yeah. give them um, um, some hand-holding in order to get their careers going, we think mm-hmm. we're adding value to society as a whole. Now, yeah. it's not possible that uh, we retain all of this cohort uh, in mm-hmm. our employment. And so we farm uh, some of them to our partners. Mm-hmm. And so, and hopefully through this experience, they will get the skills that propel them forward, whether mm-hmm. in our group, in the first instance, that would be positive, if mm-hmm. not, in the service of South Africa broadly. Yeah. Now, I remember as a young man, um, I, I thought I was getting a good education. And before my 15th birthday, my brother's a year older than me, and he was told yes. for his 15th birthday, for your 15th birthday, just remember, you must go get a job. Do not come home unless you have a job. Don't even bother coming home. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And I looked at I looked at it younger, and I looked at it as a problem. Like, why why would you be that horrible? Like, why are you trying to push yeah. me to get a job? Why are you being so assertive? Yeah. Um, and the other night, I was reflecting, thinking, why didn't he tell me to start up a company? But actually, he gave me the best tools in the world, really, because it wasn't enjoyable work. To be fair, it, you kind of make it enjoyable. Yes, but I think it gives you a sense of pride. I had pocket money; I could buy little bits and yeah. bobs. Yeah, and so it's almost a, how do we create this environment 
also where we're encouraging young people, younger. Yeah. What I see is a lot of entrepreneurs, successful people, actually started working when up while they're at school, not after. Wow. Well, doing well, odd jobs. It was, you know, well, in my father's day, it was doing the milk round or the paper round or working exactly. at the cinemas. It's 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 not necessarily making lots of money, but I think it's the productive doing something and having a habit. And a habit and a change of mindset. Yeah. So so being self self-reliant almost is that what it is is trying to find something that can yes it it, it is it's um it's encouraging and investing in that ethic of doing things yourself you're now taking uh, your own destiny into your own hands you're shaping that future then on top of that what education does it gives you now an anchoring because over time you add value in something that you know. So education plus experience gives you a, a, an anchor. And then you access capital to invest in that. That is what entrepreneurship requires. Otherwise, if you ask people, well, what would you do? What would you sell? What would you produce and sell to whom? If you have no sense of that, you, you can't get out of the starting blocks. So you've got to have some insight derived from experience a sharpened, crystallized by education, deep sense of knowledge. And then you take all of those, you wrap capital around that. Mm. Then that's what you need to find opportunities in the market. Yeah, I, I'm always intrigued by that rich dad, poor dad story yeah. of uh, yeah. Robert, Robert Kiyosaki and his friend worked for his dad, you yeah. know, and he, and he threatened to pay them, but, but he didn't actually pay them. They worked for yeah. free in the store, but they were enterprising. They learned how to work and then had to create enterprise by working for free. So it's almost, I don't want to encourage like slave labor or anything, but but it, it's about using your opportunities that are available to see how you can extract value. Exactly. Um, yes. So big salutary lessons there. And actually, as you well know, in the book, they make comparisons to others who given their children a love and support, but actually did not necessarily cultivate this value uh, of going out there and creating uh, a new enterprises. Creating value. So I, th- I suppose the thing is this, is that NetBank's creating a shared value, but we all need to be having that same purpose, right? We need to be creating shared value for our communities, families, yep. Yep. employees, our partners. It's not the responsibility of any one company. I think at the end of the day, we then have to say, what is our fair share of contribution? And we're knowing that others are also making effort in the same uh, general direction. And it's the cumulative effect of all of those contributions that makes a difference for society as a whole. I I, I think that's the way we would look at it. There's no monopoly here. We not the only one, but we certainly take pride in the contribution that we're making in sustaining that. And we hope that uh, others join uh, along this journey. And there are very many who are on it already, uh, to, be, to be fair. And so it's cumulatively how we all bring all those energies, resources, talents, skills, energy, mm. in order for South African Inc. ultimately to pull through. 
because we can mm. all be successful in our individual worlds, but if we're not pulling the country with us, we're not achieving much. And bringing hope as well uh, must be applauded. It's true, though. I mean, I, I don't know how do yeah. you put a price on hope because I think you, you obviously a well-read person, but everything I've read as well is that you know where a nation has hope through the leadership or a leader or organisations, that's where they thrive. That's where um, they thrive. It's, and, yeah. and so and so, how do we? Because some people look at it as a nice to have. It's not a nice to have. This is like the no, most no, important no, no. thing that we need as the, humans. We need hope. We need hope, and and uh, it is that unknown, unquantifiable variable in the overall equation. You because you you, you can have a sense of uh, the inputs that go in, but you've got to bring hope and optimism uh, that unlocks you know the human spirit. We, 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 we need that. It's amazing if we all think that tomorrow will be a better day. It's amazing what we get to do today in anticipation of that tomorrow. And, and as leaders, we're well placed to, to, to continue to, to invest in generating hope for our country and our people. And it's funny, it sits here because there's another book I read recently. And the quote was basically, if a willow tree was a hundred year old, human, mm. yep. it would only be 10 foot tall. If a willow tree was a hundred, if a willow tree was a hundred year old human, it would only yep. be 10 foot tall. It would stop That's growing great. because I, I've grown enough. I, I don't need to grow anymore. It just keeps yeah. on growing. It learns, it grows, it whatever. So, so we've got to continue to think of it that way. I agree with you. Very it was, good all, it was awesome speaking to you as always. I really enjoyed it. Uh, wishing you the best of luck with Nedbank's digital transformation. I know it's never-ending, these things. The, the, the thing around, always good to, to interact with you. And uh, thank you for uh, the conversation and uh, always for keeping us on our toes as we think and rethink our collective future. Lovely. Cheers, Mfundu. Cheers, Ralph. Bye. <laughs>